0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from heritage baptist church in corpus christi texas led by pastor johnny chen our church is dedicated to serving jesus christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel we pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from god's word in 1917 a businessman named frederick lehman uh ran into some financial struggle he went from uh, working and making a good amount of money to barely making it by working at a citrus factory. And uh, he was a saved man. He tells of how he trusted Jesus when he was 11 years old, walking through a crab apple orchard. You know, this, I'm just going to stop here. A lot of people question can somebody that young be saved? And that is how simple salvation is. That even a child, in fact you must come to him as a child. How incredible childlike faith is, and how wicked adult doubt is. A child comes with nothing in their hand. A child comes understanding what grace truly is. They haven't gotten to the they haven't become cynical enough to doubt Almighty God. There's going to be plenty of people who stand at the judgment seat one day and they're going to have a lot of things in their hand. They're going to have good works in their hand. They're going to have their religion in their hand. They're going to have their denominational title in their hand. They're going to have their baptism in their hand. They will not be saved. The songwriter said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And this man, Frederick Lehman, tells of how he was 11 years old and trusted Jesus Christ. And through the time of great difficulty and during his break times and his lunch times at the Citrus Factory, he started writing a song. And he wrote the first verse, he wrote the second verse, and he wrote the chorus of a song that he simply titled, The Love of God. It was helping him get through the difficult time. But many of the hymns back in his time had three stanzas, had three verses. But he could not think of a third verse. One day he found a card. And on that card he found a poem, a poem that was written by a Jewish man from I think the the 1800s or 1700s. And he noticed right away that the poem fit perfectly into his song. He read at the bottom of the card that the poem was also found etched into the walls of a prison cell in England. One can only imagine what the prisoner was going through when he wrote, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky, You know, there's a lot of things that I used to think about and I used to read about and I used to talk about uh, that I don't enjoy reading and thinking and talking about anymore. I used to love talking about basketball. I grew up in Chicago and I remember meeting Michael Jordan in the O'Hare Airport. I remember watching him growing up. Uh, So being... In Chicago, with the, the 90 Chicago Bulls there, obviously I loved watching basketball and talking about basketball. I played basketball in high school. Again, we were a private school, so a short guys had a chance. I know we have the kids outside playing. We're gonna have to focus in. They're gonna be there for about a couple more minutes and then they're gonna get home. So they're having fun on the bounce houses right now. Just wait until we get dismissed. The adults will be out there too. But um, I, don't like, I don't like talking about basketball anymore. If you're not going to stand for the flag, if you're not going to stand for the country, I'm not going to watch you. I don't understand. I don't understand why we are going to pay somebody who can put a ball in a hoop millions of dollars and our boys who will come home from foreign lands who have put their lives on the line for our freedom are sleeping under viaducts right now. I don't agree with that. And I will not support it. I will never support it. I used to love talking about golf. That was my first job. My first job was caddying, and uh, I, grew, I grew to love the game. I got to play every Monday for free, as many holes as I wanted. I got good at the game, got learning how to read greens and everything. You know the story? I came down here, brought my clubs. I had just fixed my slice, and somebody stole my clubs. That hurts. That's cold. I used to like talking about politics, and I used to like studying about those things. I don't like doing that anymore. It's, they've grown old to me. But the subject of the love of God will never grow old to me. If I had a thousand lifetimes to learn more about God's love, I would never be bored. In fact, I would need to take half of those lifetimes just to think of the words to describe what I have learned about God's love. Some things that used to amaze me don't amaze me anymore. But his love still amazes me. We just read what many people refer to as the most popular verse in the Bible. I believe it is also the most powerful verse in the Bible. Do you realize if the entire Bible had to be destroyed except for one verse, save John 3.16 and you would save the whole Bible as well. The entire Bible, the entire message of the Bible can be found in the words of John 3:16. Doesn't that show you that Jesus was the master teacher? Only Jesus can say in 25 words what man could not exhaust in millions of books. Only Jesus could say the words of John 3:16. And you know what? Here's another time out. There are some things you're going to find out only Jesus can do. You will be tempted to look elsewhere. You might even get by for a little bit, but you will find out there are many things that only Jesus can do. We live in a deceitful world. We live in a deceived world. Billions of people are walking in darkness searching for something that can give them light. Billions of people have a hole in their lives that they are desperate to fill. Billions of people are willing to grab onto anything that gives them any type of hope whatsoever. They'll grab onto sex and immorality. They'll grab onto drugs and alcohol. They'll grab onto uh, education. They'll grab onto government. And why in the world are you going to grab onto government? They'll grab onto entertainment. They'll even grab onto religious traditions. And remember, it was Jesus who said, you know, feel well you reject the commandment of God to keep your own tradition. There are plenty of people who... who grab onto religion before they grab onto a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion never saved one person and never will. Maybe you have looked for answers in those areas. How's it working out? How's it working out for you? I am telling you with all confidence this morning, there are some things only Jesus can do. And I promise you, you would find the light that you are looking for. You would fill that hole in your heart. You would find the answers to your questions. You would find the hope that you need if you even grasped just the tiniest idea of God's love in Jesus Christ. That would be the answer. This world would be a better place if people could just understand God's love in Jesus Christ. Now, whenever a preacher comes up to preach a message, we never hope to fail. But there is a subject where no matter how often you preach on it or how hard you try to preach on it, you know you're going to fail. I, there is nothing that I could say that could truly describe God's love. So I know that I am going to fail this morning. But here's what I'm looking to do I'm looking to give this message over to the Lord. And I'm looking for a couple objectives. First of all, if you are saved in this room, if you know Jesus as your Savior, take a step closer to him today. Be reminded of God's love. If you are not saved this morning, if, if I were to ask you the question somebody asked me when I was 12 years old, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? The answer in my mind was no, I did not know for sure. You may be here this morning and that is your answer. You do not know for sure. I'm not asking, do you think, do you hope? Do you know for sure? On a scale of one to a hundred, are you a hundred? If you do not know that for sure, I want to show you how much God loves you. I want to show you that if you turn to him, if you turn to him as Savior, he'll take you as a sinner. A lot of people don't like admitting that they're a, that they're a sinner. Being a sinner is what makes you eligible for a Savior. If you're not a sinner, he, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you stand before God one day with your own righteousness in your hand, it'll take you to hell. For all eternity God's love is like a diamond ladies love diamonds right God's love is like a diamond it's one precious jewel but it's made up of countless facets every way you look at it there's another side that brings more beauty and more light and more color but it makes up the treasure of the whole and I just want to bring out a couple here that I see in this verse number one God's love is a heavenly love And that's easy for us to say, but I want you to think about that for a moment. God's love is a heavenly love. For God so loved the world. Stop. I have been accused of being a lot of things. I have never been accused of being smart. There are many things I've come across in my life that I do not understand. I love standing on the piers over on the water or over towards the Lexington and watching those barges come by. I do not understand how something made of metal can float. I don't understand that. I don't understand when I look up at an airplane, it's 300 tons of metal and fuel and all this, but it's, it's just gliding through the air. I don't understand that. I don't understand how when I get up in the middle of the night for A fudge round or or something, I don't know. My big toe finds the foot of the coffee table every time, I don't understand that. I know my house, I know the layout. Every time, boom! I don't understand that. I don't understand women. And I have given up on trying. Some of you in here have contributed to my giving up. Thank you very much. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm appreciative. You've saved me time. You've saved me time and effort. Thank you. Now, I can give people some very simple answers to make you think that I understand what's happening. How can a metal ship float? Buoyancy. How can an airplane fly? Aerodynamics. Why do you constantly stub your toe? I'm an idiot. Why don't you understand women? They're just different. That was a good word. That was a chosen word. I chose that word very carefully. But ask me why God would love the world. I've got no clue. You know, I'm so glad I don't have to fully understand something in order to believe it. There's a lot in this world. You know, many, pa- many people who claim to be atheists. I spoke to somebody who claimed to be an atheist. I spoke to him for five minutes last week. And at the end of five minutes, oh, I guess I'm not an atheist. Many, many people who claim to be an atheist say that they're atheists because they don't believe in God. Really, it's just they don't understand him. Now, do you want a God that you fully understand? If I could, I don't want a God that I can fully understand. If I could fully understand God, why couldn't I be God? And you don't want me to be God, trust me. There are plenty of things that you believe in that you don't fully understand. You got in a car this morning, and you put the key in, and you turned it. You don't understand everything that's going on here. Now, some of you are very mechanical, but open up that hood and name every part and what it does. You have no clue. But when you turn that key, you are saying, I believe that this is going to start. You have a capacity for faith. That's what I am saying. There's plenty of things that you don't fully understand that you believe in. For some reason that I will never understand, but I believe it with all my heart. God loves the world. Give me one reason in your mind why God should love the world. And he not only loves the world, look at what he says, for God so loved the world. Have we ever done anything to earn his love? What could earthly man do to earn heavenly love? You would search in vain a million ways to find one earthly reason. The Bible says that God's love in Christ passeth knowledge, especially when you think of the next point here. God's love is an initial love. What do I mean by initial? He loved you first. He loved the world first. First John 4.10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. First John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. God doesn't love the world because we gave him a reason to love us back. We realize that. God doesn't love the world because we gave him a reason to love us back. The vast majority of human love is based on an exchange. That is the vast majority of human love. Give me a reason to love you and I'm, I'll love you. Give me a reason to love you and I'll love you back. Now, if my love for you won't be shared, then I'll take my love back. And that's why much human love is so fickle and shallow. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he's teaching about love and he's teaching his, his disciples, Christian love should be different than human love. Here's what he says. If ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not the publicans do the same? You know who publicans were? The tax collectors, thieves. People who would go through and say they would see on their sheet Rusty, you owe $30 in taxes, but they would say you owe $50. They would take the 30 to Caesar and they would put the 20 in their pocket. And everybody knew it, but you couldn't say anything against it. So Jesus, in using this illustration of love, says even the thieves of the world will love somebody who loves them back. God's love isn't that way. God loved the world even though the world was unlovable. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Jesus willingly came to earth and showered his love upon a world that was unlovable and unloving. Explain that kind of love. We would know nothing of love if it weren't for the love of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says love is of God. Love is of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. To know God is to know love. Most of what this world calls love is not love at all. We have a. <laughs> when I first became youth pastor here, I was, what, 24, 25, something like that, and I had a 13-year-old girl who was riding the, riding the bus, and she brings this kid along with her. And I walk out in the... What is that called? Parking lot. You know, that's a tough word. Sorry. Walking out in the parking lot and they're holding hands together. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and her name was, her name was uh, I can't even remember. It's like, do you, do you love each other? What's going on? Yes. I'm like, spell love. You think love is spelled W-U-V. Stop holding hands with each other. What's going on? Much of what this world calls love is not love at all. What we have in this world is people who think they love each other, but lust after one another. That's all it is. Love gives, lust takes. And much of what the world calls love is actually lust. If we want to know love, you must know God. And only if you know God will you ever know love. And take comfort in that because you can know God. You can know God. It's a heavenly love, an initial love. It's a personal love. You can know God because God's love is a personal love. When God said, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world... He was talking about you. He wasn't just talking, oh yeah, I love that that blue marble that's floating through the world, or through the universe. He was talking about you. It's a personal love. I may not be able to answer the question, why does God love? I can certainly answer the question, who does God love? God loves you. The love of God is a personal love. You could put your name in this verse and it would be true. For God so loved just that he gave his only begotten son let me prove it to you. I remember when I fell in love with Miss Tracy. I couldn't stop thinking about her. She was my first thought in the morning. She was my last thought at night. She captivated my thoughts because I loved her. You think about what you love. You know that the Bible says God thinks about you. Do you know the Bible says that? In Psalm 139, God thinks about you, little old you. Psalm 139:17, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! And not just thoughts. How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. That's how much God thinks about you. You think about what you love. Let me further illustrate this. How many of you are in a position of authority or management or, or leadership? Okay, so you would be able to testify to this. The more people, because I'm, this, it's easy to say God thinks about you and his thoughts towards you are more in number than the sand. But we're, again, adults and we have a propensity to doubt and to question so let's illustrate it, just thinking of the human side. When you're in a position of leadership or authority or responsibility of any kind, the more people you let into your life, the more responsibility you have, correct? In that, in that leadership. The more responsibility you have, the more you have to think about. And the more you have to think about, the less time you have to think. And you have to start cutting things out. No, oh, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. So we, when we hear a verse... That God's thoughts toward me are more in number than the sand. How is that possible? How is that possible? How can God have time to think about me that much? Now, the easy question is God is not bound by time. But let's have a hard question for it. How can God possibly love me in the way that the Bible says he does? How can he personally love me in the way that he says he does? Now, forgive me, I'm Asian, So I love numbers. I'm not saying I'm good with numbers. I'm just saying I love numbers. If you put my blood, it's in my blood. If you put my blood underneath a microscope, you'd find soy sauce. You'd find sesame oil. You'd find an irresistible urge to start a dry cleaning business. And you'd find a love for numbers. (laughs) So I love numbers. So, all right, rein it in, rein it in. In mathematics, anyone here good at math? Anyone love math? Yes? Anyone? Okay, good. So I hope I'm not wrong. I don't think I am. But in mathematics, you have a term infinity, and it represents something boundless or limitless. It can refer to, uh, it can represent a lot of different things, but a lot of times it it represents a boundless or limitless number. Now, with that being said, if you were to divide infinity, are we following? I've lost some of you already. Math of what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you were to divide infinity by any finite number that isn't zero, the answer would be infinity. Right? It doesn't matter how large the number is, if you divide any number that is finite, not zero, it's going to be infinity. So God's love is personal because God's love is infinite. God's love, although divided among everybody in the world is still infinitely poured out on each of us. I remember going to Brazil and I got to see the Amazon River. Now, I grew up again in Chicago, so the biggest body of water I ever saw was Lake Michigan. You go up to Lake Michigan and I'd I'd never seen the ocean or anything like that, I, I, I couldn't grasp that amount of water. And I remember seeing the Amazon River for the first time and thinking that's not a river, that's a lake. It's enormous and it was low when I was there. It wasn't even close to getting up to the banks where it usually is. A preacher said this, God's personal love for me is like all the water of the Amazon River flowing to nourish one flower. That's God's love for you. That's God's love for me. Now compare that to how little you love God back. God's thoughts for you are more in number than the sand. Sometimes you go days without thinking about him. Think of the ocean of love that God has given to you when he sent his own son to die in your place. And then think of the puddles of love that we have returned to him. How often has God called to you in love, but you've turned him away? How many times has he called you to pray, but you stay on the couch and watch TV instead? How many times has he called you to read your Bible, but instead you play on your phone? How many times has he called you to come to church, but instead you sleep in, or you go out to a restaurant, or you go to the beach, or you watch a ball game? How many times has he called you to come to him, but you turn to a hobby instead? Or he calls you to come to him, but you turn to the bottle? Or he calls you to come to him, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lonely in heart, but instead you turn to drugs and prescriptions. How many times has he reached out to you in love and you ignored him, and yet God still loves you? He still loves you. You've blasphemed his name before. He still loves you. You've joked about his existence before. You've denied his truths before, and yet God still loves you. You've sinned against him more times than you could ever write down. You've silenced his voice as he spoke to you in church. You've laughed at his preachers. You've mocked his followers. And yet God still loves you. We often fail and yet God's love never fails. Because God's love is also an unconditional love. Let's get serious now. Some of you are here this morning with with burdens so heavy, you don't know how you're going to make it through another day. Now you're here and you're smiling, and nobody else knows, but you are burdened down and you know it beneath cares of things that you cannot handle on your own. Your business is struggling, your finances are wavering, your family is splitting, your health is diminishing, your children are hurting, your marriage is faltering, your dreams are fading, and the devil is fighting you. And you're wondering if God loves you enough. You're here wondering if God loves you enough to deliver you. Deliver you? He gave his own son to die for you. Deliver you? You're here fearful and anxious about the state of the world, wondering if God loves you enough to give you peace. Give you peace? He gave his son to die for you. You're here wondering if God loves you enough because because you're broken or you're breaking from the consequences of your own sin. Many times a broken heart or a breaking heart is from sin and our own sin that we have brought upon ourselves. And you're wondering if God would love you enough to forgive you. Forgive you? He gave his own son to die for you. Forgive you. What else could God do that would be more difficult for him than giving his only son to die for you? What could we ever ask of him that would show his love more than sending his only begotten son to die in your place? Forgive you? Lead you? Help you? Deliver you? Give you peace? He gave his son for you. Those things are easy. Those things are easy. That's a drop in the bucket. Romans 8, 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Even though it's nothing but our sin that brings consequences, it's nothing but our sin that brings us into the trouble we find ourselves in. It's sin that brings darkness. It's sin that brings difficulty. It's sin that brings discouragement and confusion and anxiety and fear and doubt. And yet God still loves you and me. He'll lead you through all your cares. He'll fight all your battles. He'll deliver you from all your troubles. He'll carry you through all of your struggles. And friend, if you're here this morning drowning in a sea of your own sin, He loves you enough. He'll forgive you of all of them. He'll deliver you from all of them. He'll free you from all your guilt. He'll break every chain. He'll light every path. He'll wash every stain. He'll make all things new because God loves you. And guess what? It'll always be that way. Because God's love is an eternal love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jeremiah 3.13 The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Listen to this. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know it's God's love for you that drew you here today? There is something else you could have done this morning, but for some reason, you're here. According to the Bible, it's God's love that drew you here today because he loves you. He, des- he desires to draw you nearer to him. He wants to be close to you, and not just in this life, but for all eternity, for all eternity in, in heaven. So why then, I'll play devil's advocate here. So why then, some people ask, Are there some who will spend eternity in hell? If God loves us so much, how could he send anybody to hell? Have you ever heard that question? Have you ever asked that question before? Unfortunately, there's another aspect of God's love that we need to talk about. It's a heavenly love. You can't understand that. Especially when you think he loved you first. It's a personal love. He didn't just love the world, he loved you. And he loves you unconditionally. We certainly don't deserve it. But he loves you still unconditionally. And he loves you eternally. But God's love is also a rejectable love. Did you know that? God's love is a rejectable love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. That's your choice. That's your choice and your choice alone. Nobody, God never makes somebody believe. So when people look around this world and they see the heartache and they see the destruction and they see the devastation and they blame God, well, God must not be as loving as he said he is. Can I give you an illustration? One time there was a preacher talking to a friend of his and, one, and when he was in high school, he decided to become a preacher. The Lord called him to preach. He got saved. The other one became a barber, and he was an atheist. And the preacher constantly was trying to lead his atheist barber to the Lord and could not do it. And the atheist always said, if God is so loving, why is there so much destruction in the world? If God loved people so much, why does he let bad things happen to them? Why does it happen? And the preacher didn't know how to answer that question in a way that would get through to his friend. They were driving through the downtown of the city one time and the preacher was driving and the atheist friend was in the passenger seat. And a homeless man walked in front, disheveled, dirty, hair down to his back. And the preacher looked at the barber and he said, you claim to be a good barber don't you? He said, yeah, I've been a barber for a very long time. He said, you claim to care about what you do. Yeah, of course I care about what I do. He said, then why, then why is that man walking through the street without his haircut? He said, what are you talking about? He said, you claim to be a good barber. You claim to care about what you do and you want to take care of people and make people look your best. Then why is this man walking through the street looking so disheveled when you call yourself such a good barber? And the man said, well, that's not fair. He's never come to me for help. Bingo. If you spend eternity in hell one day, it will not be because God didn't love you. No, Not one person is in hell today that God rejected. Everybody in hell today is somebody that rejected God. Because God's love is a rejectable love. Why would you reject such love? Why would you doubt that it is powerful enough to save you from your sin? Why do we think God's love is so powerful yet not powerful enough to save my soul? I've got to help him in some way. I've got to trust in Jesus and my baptism. I've got to trust in Jesus and my religion. I've got to trust in Jesus and something else. There's a story that Jesus tells of a Pharisee and a publican. We've already heard about the publican, didn't we? And you know what the Pharisee did? Jesus said he prayed and said, Lord, I tithe of all that I possess and I fast three times a week. He's a Pharisee. Many Pharisees had the entire first five books of the Bible committed to memory. And he said, I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that. And the publican came before the Lord and beat upon his chest and said, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Jesus asked, Which one of those two is going to spend eternity in heaven? Ain't the Pharisee. Now, that was the original Greek, but Jesus said, It's not the Pharisee. He said, It was that publican who said, Be merciful, just be merciful unto me, a sinner. He walked home justified. Think about that thief on the cross. A lot of churches, they say, if you're going to be saved, you need to do this, and you need to understand this, and understand this, and there's this, like this four-step plan in order to get saved. Now, hang on, there are some things that you definitely need to understand. You need to understand that you're a sinner, because if you don't understand that you're a sinner, then why do you need to be saved? That's why men never ask for directions, because men are not lost. Convince a man that he's lost and we'll ask for directions, but we're not lost, We'll fall off the edge of the earth before we admit we're lost. We're not going to ask for directions. So why do people need a savior if they're not a sinner? So yeah, you need to understand that you're a sinner. You need to understand there's a penalty for your sin. If you you sped down Yorktown, somebody's going to pull you over and you're going to get a ticket. That's a part of it. There has to be a penalty for sin. And that penalty is hell. So then what is the payment? What is the payment for sin? And men think, oh, I've got to do something. I've got to come up with the payment. And many times in life, that is the way it is. You get yourself into trouble, you get yourself out. That's not the way it is with the Lord. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called a gift. The moment you have to do something, it's no longer a gift. It's a purchase. And the Bible doesn't say that that the purchase of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we reject it because we think we've we've got to do something. And if you reject that love, you cannot reject God's love without having eternal damnation. You can't do it. Think about that thief on the cross. You know what he said? He didn't say, Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner and I understand that my sin deserves a penalty and I understand that you right now are paying for that sin and I put my faith and trust in you. He didn't say any of that. What did he say? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But what did he, what was that statement? That was an admission of who he was. Lord, Jesus, you are Lord. And if you are powerful enough to come down to this earth and live a sinless life and die, I I believe that. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I'll do one better. You'll come with me. Because God looks for faith and that is it, childlike faith. Faith minus nothing, plus nothing. Faith in Jesus Christ. And you can reject that if you wish, but I don't wish to. There's a story of a man who was a consistent infidel He wanted nothing to do with the Bible. He wanted nothing to do with religion. He wanted nothing to do with church or anything. He was one of those people. I talked to one yesterday. He said, if I walked into your church tomorrow, the ground would shake. And I said, that's fine. Come and shake the ground. The Lord will shake your heart and you might get saved. He said, but I'm a sinner. I said, the Lord loves sinners. But he said, if I came in, I might burst into flames. I said, sir, if you don't come in, you will. And this man was the same way but somebody constantly his neighbor was constantly witnessing to him constantly telling him you need to trust in Christ you need to trust in Christ on his deathbed the neighbor came to visit out of nowhere he went into a screaming fit the doctor came in asking if he was in pain he said yes i'm in pain there is nothing wrong his vitals were spiking because of the fit that he was throwing they put the neighbor out and all the neighbor could hear from inside we have a lot of distractions listen distractions are are the devil, that is it. The devil doesn't want you to hear what is about to be said. Listen, they sent the neighbor out and all the neighbor could hear inside was, doctor, pull me out, pull me out. I'm in flames, pull me out. He called to the nurses. The last words that that man said were, somebody pull me out. Listen to me, sinner. Only the love of God in Christ Jesus is powerful enough to pull out a soul from hell. And if you reject him, the Lord can't help rejecters. The Lord saves believers. Give up your wickedness and have righteousness. Give up your sin and have a savior. He loves you. He so loves you. A man heard a message on John 3.16 and he wrote these words, I've wandered far away from God but now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, now I'm coming home. I've tired of sin and straying, Lord, now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home. He loves you. When I was 12 years old, I came home. Will you come home today? And if you also remember a day when you came home, Never forget God's love for you. Some of you, the first time you came to this church, you told me, I feel God in this place, and now you barely come anymore. You've forgotten God's love for you. Some of you, it's been so long since you picked up your Bible and you read it. You've forgotten God's love for you. Some of you, it's been so long since you've prayed and you've done what you know that you're supposed to do. It's been so long since you've witnessed. You've forgotten God's love for you. If you remembered God's love, you would live for him.